0: so much better. You can do that all the way through if you like. It'll make me really happy. Cool. We're going to have a great time looking at God's Word together. So if you have a Bible or an app of some description, Judges chapter 17. I should specify a Bible reading app. You're not to play on any old app. I just said if you have an app of some description. A Bible reading app. Don't get distracted by Facebook now when you turn your phones on. (laughs) Ignore that little red circle with 15 in it saying that you've got 15 notifications and you just have to look now. You don't, honestly. Let's just set the next 45 minutes aside for Jesus. Judges 17 and verse 6 says, In those days... Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Now this, just in case you are wondering, is not the Bible saying it was really great back then. Because there was no king and everyone could just do whatever they wanted. It was fantastic. No. The scripture is actually saying that this was a negative thing. That everyone was just going around doing whatever they saw fit in their own eyes. And that was seen as a bad thing. Because if we look at Proverbs... Chapter 29, Proverbs 29, if you're struggling with where these books are, just use the index in your Bible, of course app people get there even quicker. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction." So where there's no revelation, where, where things aren't being shown to us, where things aren't being revealed to us, people just cast off anything that would kind of keep them in any kind of order and they do whatever they want. So comparing that to that verse, when there was no king, no one knew what they were supposed to be doing. Everyone was just going off doing their own thing. The Bible says when there's no revelation, when we don't see something together, When we're not seeing what God is showing us together, then we just have a tendency to go off and do anything. Look at Psalm 133. Some of you know this psalm quite well. It says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now Aaron was a priest, he was the first priest um, in the Old Testament and he was of of the old um, covenant system and he was anointed with oil to set him apart for his priesthood. So he was being marked out as God's chosen one. As God's holy chosen person to move in authority and power on God's behalf. And just like many other prophets and priests and kings in the Old Testament, to mark them out as God's chosen one and to empower them to what God was calling them to do and to show that they had authority, they would be anointed with oil. Oil would literally be poured all over them and it would run down from the head, down his beard. I mean, I tried to do a sermon illustration this evening, but I didn't quite manage um, Aaron's proportions. I'm sure he had a bigger beard. Um, But it would have gone all the way down his beard and all the way down his robes and down to his feet. uh, And he'd have been covered in oil. And what the psalmist is saying here is that when God's people live together in unity, when they see something together, when they pursue something together, when God's people are united and not just going off and doing as each one sees fit, it is like the anointing that set Aaron apart as God's holy chosen one and gave him the authority to move on God's behalf. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Yeah. Just us living together, united, one in heart and purpose, is like the anointing that was poured out on Aaron. Yeah. And it says, it is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now that's a symbol, just like the anointing oil was a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming in power and appointing and setting apart uh, and enabling and giving authority... The Jew coming down on Mount Hermon, uh, down onto Zion, is a symbol of God's blessing being poured out from heaven into the earth. So when God's people live united together, instead of everyone's doing their own thing, doing as they see fit. But when God's people are together, when there's revelation, when they're pursuing something together, it is... Like the anointing of power and authority. And it's like the blessing of God from heaven to the earth. That's amazing. Do you know, one of the biggest challenges that I think we face in the Western church, in our culture. Because you know, when we, we all live in a culture, don't we? There's culture going on all around us. And we're not, we're not living in isolation unless we lock ourselves up in a cave somewhere. Um, we've got all kinds of pressures on us from the world around us. And I think one of the greatest pressures on us because of the culture that we live in is individualism. It's really strong all around us. And the world is telling us all the time that it's all about wonderful you. And of course, there is truth in that because you are wonderful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and God loves you as an individual. You're not just a number, you're not just a a statistic, but God has your name written on the palm of his hand. He knows you as an individual and he's passionately interested in you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And he is for you and he loves you as an individual. But the thing is, that's true, but we take truth sometimes. And because of the culture we live in, we take it to the extreme and we get it out of balance. We get it out of tension with the rest of truth. And we think it's all about me. And it's all about my dreams and my plans and my purposes. And it's all about what's the word of God for my life? What's the destiny for my life? What's the big dream that I'm going to pursue? Have you ever thought about this? If, if all of us in the church have these amazing dreams and there's these, like these mega plans and we're going to need all these people, we're going to have to delegate, we're going to have to have all these people that are doing this big plan that we've got, then like there's not going to be enough people to do all of our plans because we've all got this big dream and we're all going to be ahead of this big, amazing project. And, but actually, we can't just like do everything. And there has to come a point where we say, we've seen something together. We've owned something together. We're pursuing something together because God doesn't call us to just be a collection of individuals who all happen to be in the same place, all pursuing their own plan and purpose and destiny. You see, when God saves you, he saves you into a covenant. We learn this through through all the Old Testament history. It, It sets everything up for us in understanding how God wants to relate to people. And a covenant has all the force of a legally binding agreement. And yet it's motivated not by, you know, kind of dry, detached law. But it's motivated by this passionate heart of love. And the closest we get to it really in our kind of human understanding is the covenant of marriage. Where it's supposed to be completely binding on us for the rest of our lives. And yet it's not supposed to be just like some drag or some some, uh, convenient arrangement. It's supposed to be motivated by the most intimate and passionate love. And God of course is is the God of all perfection and, and he makes perfect covenants. But you see, when he called you into a covenant, into a relationship with himself, this this heartfelt, passionate, binding agreement between you and him about the relationship you were going to enjoy for eternity, it wasn't like he said, do you know what? That's fantastic. That's amazing. Jonathan's become a Christian. Brilliant. Off I go to my shelf. I'll get a covenant and I'll make a covenant with him. I'll sign it here. You sign it. Great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Actually, Coin's just become a Christian. I'll go and get another one for her. And I'll get a covenant for her. And I'll come and I'll sign it and she'll sign it. Yanni's become a Christian. Fantastic. I'll make a covenant, I'll go and get another one off the shelf. No. God doesn't have lot He doesn't have a great big stack of covenants waiting to make a different covenant with each of us. He's got one. It's called the New Covenant the new covenant that was made through the shedding of Christ's blood. And actually, we've enjoyed bread and wine together this evening. And one of the things that Jesus said when he instituted that meal for us is he said, this cup is the cup, the blood of the new covenant. And Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, though we are many, we are one body because we all share in the one loaf. Now obviously we mess that up sometimes because when we get together with lots of us, we can't all share the same loaf unless you go to like a mega baker um, who's got like some super duper extra big loaf of bread. But you get the principle. Jesus was saying because the bread represents his, his body and he's saying there's only one me. And you all come to God through me. And there's no other way so all of you are in me. So you're all together. So actually, you haven't all got your own individual relationship with me. Hear me right. We're talking about tensions of truth here. Yes, he loves you as an individual. But it's not just you and Jesus. It's not just you and him. Because the covenant that you were brought into wasn't an individual one for you. But there's like one massive long piece of paper And we roll it out and it goes from here for miles. And there's loads of space on it. And every Christian ever in all of history since Jesus came, everywhere in the world, their names are all on the same covenant. We've all been brought into the same covenant in Jesus Christ. Because your destiny is wrapped up with my destiny. And my destiny is wrapped up with yours. Sometimes we talk about the Christian life as a race that we run. Um, Paul used that analogy about running the race and, well, what good is it? If Josh is running really well, I mean, he's just so theological and he's got all his, you know, he's got it all sorted and he's praising God. He's great at worship and plays a guitar and he's just got it all going. And he's like running his race. He's doing really well. And he reaches the finish line and says, yes, I'm here. I've got great theology. I can worship God. I can lead worship. I've just like made it. Yes, I do social action. I just like share the gospel all the time. Yes, come on. Oh no, look at Richard. He's back here. And he's like hobbling along. Oh, look at him. I finished. Whoa, I finished my... What what advantage is that to him if he actually doesn't get to win until I make it to the finish line too? Because actually Jesus is coming back when his bride has made herself ready. So the end, the culmination the great culmination of everything, the great trumpet sound when Jesus comes again and we're all like, whoa, party time in heaven. That doesn't happen until all of God's purpose has been fulfilled in his church. So great for you, Josh, no offense, that you're like having your own little private party over here, but you have not won until we all make it. Because my destiny is wrapped up in your destiny, because we are called to be part of a people, and it's not just about you and your individual walk with God, because Jesus, whilst he loves you passionately as an individual, and died for you as an individual, actually didn't just die for you as an individual, because scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, that it was because he loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her he gave himself up for his bride for his bride the church the people the covenant people that you are now a part of and we need to catch hold of we need to 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 let go of some of this individualism thinking it's all about me And my career and my journey through life and the word of God to me and and my life. And we need to catch hold of this sense, I've been called to be part of a people. I've been called to be part of a corporate journey. And rather than diminishing who I am, that in no way threatens or constrains or takes away my individuality or, or stops me from being fully me. Realising that we're called to be part of a wonderful community of people where everyone gets to be fully them, but are interdependent on one another nevertheless. Look at Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four, verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. They were all together. They were one in heart and mind and they didn't hold anything back from one another. Now the fact is they must, they couldn't have given everything away immediately because it says from time to time they brought things that they had and sold them. So they still have things to sell. So sometimes we kind of have this notion of like this, you know, everyone just lived with a communal purse and, and, and you know, that's what we're supposed to do. Now, clearly they still had things, but it, what it's telling us here is that they didn't consider them like, no, that's for me. They didn't think, you know, I've just got to look after me and my family. And as long as we're okay, then maybe I'll see if anything's left over for a few other people. But, but my priority is me and my journey. And, and I've just got to think about us first and then I'll see what's left. No, they had a sense of we're called into this together. They had a sense of we have a destiny together. We actually believe that our destiny is wound up with each other's. That we've got something to pursue together. Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. Now, alarm bells should be ringing right now because whenever the Bible says something like that, you know what it's about to ask you to do is going to be pretty tough. Because we're, we're, we're invoking the help of the God of all endurance and encouragement. Okay, so what he's about to ask us to do, we're going to need God to help us to endure That sounds fun, doesn't it? And we're going to need his encouragement. So this might be tough. This might be challenging. So may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It might take endurance. To be of one heart and one mind might actually take endurance. Endurance. Because the thing is this being united and being one in heart and mind is really easy when we agree. But when we don't agree, or when it's not according to our preference, like when we think it's really a bit too dark in here, or when we think that I wish they did different kinds of songs, or when we think, I don't know, it's just not organized how I would have it organized, or you know, I just wish they'd do that thing differently. Whatever it is. Or when it comes down to individuals, and we start to become aware of, you know, there are one or two people in the church that sometimes they just rub us up the wrong way or they just kind of irritate us slightly. Or Then unity starts to become more challenging. But he doesn't say, do your best to get on, but I understand that it's pretty tough sometimes, so, you know, we're all human. No, he says... May the God of all endurance and encouragement give you the ability to stay one in heart and mind. May we draw on the endurance and the encouragement of God to pursue this unity that is like. The anointing oil that gives authority and power and sets us apart and enables us to do what God has called us to do. The unity that is like the blessing of God that is poured out from heaven into the earth. May God give us the endurance and the encouragement we need to keep pursuing that. Philippians 2. value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. One in heart and mind, committed to saying we're going to pursue something together. We're not actually all just going to be going about living our own lives. A collection of individuals who happen to find it convenient to worship in the same place at the same time on a weekly basis. But a people Who God has called together. Now, of course, this whole covenant thing, this all being part of one covenant, applies to the whole of the Church of Jesus Christ all over the world. It's true that we are one people with every Christian in Greater Manchester, every Christian in the United Kingdom, every Christian in the world. We are one church. And yet we have to work that out, don't we? And so just like you have to work out community, maybe with the people that live in your house with you, maybe you, you live in a, a nuclear family, maybe you live in an extended family, maybe you live with friends, and, but you, you work it out where you are. And we have to work it out in community together as a local expression of the church, whilst not excluding the wider church, not excluding that we're part of something bigger, it also has to be real on the ground where we are. So I'm going to spend just a little bit of time that we've got left going over some of the core things that we've said that we will give ourselves to pursuing together. Not because I want to bore you with loved lovers loving others again. Now some of you, it may be new to you, but some of you have heard it before. But because I want to invite us all to make a decision today. To be one in heart and mind. And I realise we may have a few visitors this evening. You may be part of another expression of the church. And I know we do have a few people that come along to this evening site who are also part of other church communities. And I want to encourage you to take hold of this. And and if your primary point of connection is, is part of another community, nevertheless, to take hold of it and to say, yeah, I want to do the same thing where I am. So I want to invite us to make that decision that says we're going to run after something together we're going to apply these values to our life together we're going to, they're going to be important to us because we believe this is the people that God has called us to be a part of to, to live out his call upon our lives with and rather than be so interested in kind of what's the word over my life of course you want to know what the word over your life is but what if we attach the same value and the same importance to the words that come over our lives? What I mean by that is this: sometimes we hear people saying, well, have you got any kind of word over your life? Have you, Oh, I'm not sure really. And what we're thinking is that, you know, the preacher never kind of like singled you out in the middle of the meeting and says, thus says the Lord, here's the call of God over your life. Or, or maybe they, you came out in response to a, 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 a ministry time and someone laid hands on you and they shook and, and it was all a dramatic moment. And says the Lord, you will go to Timbuktu. And, and it was like, yes, I've got a word. And if that hasn't happened, it's like, no, I haven't got a word over my life really. Yes, you have. If you are part of this church community, then I can tell you all kinds of words that you have over your life. Because when God speaks over the community that you are part of, he speaks to you. And I think we need to learn to hold on to those words as being just as important to us. And just as directional to our lives. And pray into them every bit as much as if they were the individual word That someone brought to us in a prayer line at the end of a meeting or prophesied. If God prophesied it to us as a community, then it's a word over my life that I have to own and be praying into. So love lovers loving others is just a way of expressing some values that we said we want to prioritize and go after together. So I'm going to take you through love, lovers, loving others, and I'm going to break each one of those three things down into three subcategories, if you like. So we've got nine points to go through, and we're not going to take long over them, but hopefully just want to stir something in your heart that says, yes, I want to pursue this together. So firstly, loved. Knowing the unconditional love and acceptance of God, my Father. god has been speaking to us about it this evening. He speaks to us about it all the time, because everything begins in our identity, our understanding of being children of God, that he loved you first. There was nothing you did to earn it. There was nothing you did to make him accept you. He just loved you. We are committed as a community to saying we all want to know that and we want to see the difference it makes in our lives when we are free in that truth. Now, owning that together means that those of us who are less kind of, touchy-feely shall we say those of us who are less likely to sway about in the worship time and more likely to stand still those of us who think oh this love stuff here they go again no experience and we have to say no this is something we're going to go after together it's not about what I my disposition is like it's not about whether you sway or don't sway or put your hand on your heart or don't put your hand on your heart it's about actually saying this truth needs to make a difference in my life And actually, I'm going to pursue this, not just for myself, but for us as a community. And I'm going to do everything I can to live in the fullness of this truth that God loves me unconditionally. And actually, I want to help the people around me. I care about whether this community lives in the fullness of that identity and truth. And if there are people around me who are struggling to get hold of that truth, then it's my problem too. If there are people around me that aren't living in that freedom, then I have that as a responsibility on my life because we're saying we own this together as a value. Secondly, knowing that Jesus restores me and sends me as a co-heir of the kingdom of God. This is all about the fact that we are a gospel people. We are here to proclaim the good news that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again from the dead to set us free from the power of sin and death so that we can live the life as children of God that he always intended us to live. Because it's all very well that God loved us and knowing that God loves us, but actually that, that places a, that places an, a burden of, of responsibility in our lives and we would be powerless to do anything about that. We'd be powerless to live in the love of God if it wasn't for what Jesus had done for us. So understanding that Jesus restores me as a child of God. That I don't live in guilt and shame anymore, but actually he makes me a child again. He makes me a prince, he makes me a princess. He sends me into the world with all power and authority as a co-heir of Jesus. This kind of truth makes all the difference in our lives. We're passionate about knowing and understanding the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his grace, I'm an heir of the kingdom. Jesus is coming again, but he's poured out the Holy Spirit in my life. Because thirdly, being loved and, and pursuing this value of knowing that we are loved means knowing that God comes to live in me, in the person of the Holy Spirit, that he transforms and he empowers me. Jesus ascended into heaven so that the Holy Spirit could be poured out in my life. God loves me so much that he doesn't stay distant from me. But having restored me, having taken away my guilt and my shame, he pours himself out into my life. And he lives in me and he has fellowship. He shares my life with him. So that as I walk around in every moment of life, I share my life. With God of the universe who lives inside of my life. Isn't that amazing? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. See what is there? Thanks. It is in the Bible. That's what it means to be loved, and we're going after that, we're pursuing that. We're saying we want to help everyone in this community to live in that identity. And we won't settle for just being meeting attenders. We won't settle for just doing church. We'll be a community of people who know who they are. Who know what God has done for them in Jesus. Who knows how much he loved us. That he didn't even hold back his son. But sent him to restore us. That we might be filled with all of him. And of course, our response to all this love from God is that we become lovers of God. And firstly, because we're lovers of God, we value times of worship and encounter. We say that actually, worshiping together is so important to us. I mean, you could have stayed at home tonight, you could have put on a CD, could have had some great worship music going on, and there are plenty, so I hear, of podcasts of other preachers who may or may not be better than me, available for you online and you can tell me as if, as if I have no feelings whatsoever how amazing they are and how they totally transform your life and are far better than the boring stuff you hear on a weekly basis in church. But you don't get to see their lives. Just a little aside for you there. You don't get to watch their life like the Bible tells you you should watch the life of those who lead you. Anyway, that's an aside. But you could have done it at home. You could have had your own little individual thing going on with God. But that's not what he's called you to. He's called you to be part of worshipping together. Because do you know what? When we worship God together, it's really significant. And we believe that God has called us to be part of bringing the realities of heaven to the earth. Well, heaven is full of worship. Heaven is ram-packed full of worship. It's like just... Basically everything that happens there, day and night, for all of eternity. So heaven is like filled with the worship and praise of God for all of eternity. And it's going on all the time because God's like outside of time. So heaven's like going on all the time. And then to come into the earth, we step into time. But like heaven's like, you get it? Okay, so, so when we worship, when we worship as the community of God's people, it's like we step into eternity. And we join with what is going on in the heavenly realms. And we're worshipping together with the, with the angels and the, the living creatures that are around his throne. And the, the, the elders that are falling down before him and casting off their crowns. We're joining with eternity. We're caught up with something supernatural when we worship him together. That's why we're saying we're going to value that. We're not just going to see it as, oh, I've got to do my dues. I've got to go to worship. I've got to go to, I've got to, go to the meeting. Because I'll fail my exams if I don't go to church at least once a week. You know, we've got to grow up from these things. Yeah, has anyone ever thought that don't put your hand up? <laughs> God wants us to do something meaningful when we come together to touch heaven. We value times of worship and encounter. So we'll prioritize them. We'll come on time. We'll help one another. because we value that together, because you value being part of a people and you value worshipping together with that people, you won't just turn up and say, I wonder what will happen this evening. I wonder what they'll do for me. What about you spend some time in prayer? What about you spend some time seeking God? Maybe he's got a word that he wants you to bring to the community of God's people this evening. Maybe he's got something he wants you to share. Maybe there's an individual that he wants you to encourage and he he wants to lay that person on your heart so that you can be looking out for them. And I know that we all have times when the day just went wrong and we're just in a bad mood and we just don't feel like doing anything nice for anybody. I still want you to come. I still want you to come and I want you to find love and acceptance. I don't want you to encounter any guilt or condemnation. I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. I don't want you to feel bad that you haven't prayed for anyone or prepared yourself or come ready to bring a prophetic word. I just want you to come and find grace and acceptance and the presence of God. But if all of us rely on that all of the time, then there'll be nobody else left to show us all that grace and acceptance and love and encouragement. So actually, let's try and pursue him and be strong some of the time so that when others are weak, I can be strong. And maybe when I'm weak, then you'll be strong for me. But we can be there for one another. Being lovers of God, as well as singing songs and and offering up prayers of praise, actually means that we pursue holiness together as well. Because do you know what? Being holy is intricately connected with worship in scripture. The whole ministry of the priest in the, in the Old Testament, it was all about you know, the taking away of sin for all these sacrifices and everything so that so God's people could be consecrated, so they could be holy, so that they could worship him. Because holiness and worship goes together. And in Romans 12, 12 chapter 1, um, Paul says that, when we live, when we lay down our lives as living sacrifices, when we're holy in God's sight, that is our true and proper worship. We're committed to pursuing holiness. Now, doing this together means that how the person next to you is living their life is your concern. See, we love the whole non-judgmental, and we really do. We don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to be judgmental. We want to be gracious and accepting and forgiving. Absolutely. With no caveats. Absolutely. Yes. But we don't want to go on living our lives in sin. We want to be holy. And that means if I'm struggling in an area, I need you. I need, obviously, not every single one of you, because that would be a bit discouraging, But I need people around me who are able to say, come on, Richard, you're more than that. Come on, Richard, Jesus died for you. He died for you and he set you free from that. And that's not who you are anymore. So you need to stop doing that. You need to stop talking to people like that or you need to stop reacting like that or you need to stop going out and doing those things or or whatever it is. Because I know that God's got a great plan for your life. I'm not talking about sitting there tucked up, if you seen what they did. You know, looking down your nose and kind of feeling superior. Good job, I'm holy. I'm in the finish line. But we're talking about caring, because we want one another to make it. We want to be a holy people, a holy community, because we've said we'll pursue this together. We'll be united. We won't just wait at the finish line, tutting that the person's going really pretty slow, but we'll say, come on, I'm gonna help you. Being lovers also means that we develop and express generosity, and we heard all about that um, last week. Again, if you um, didn't, then recommend the, um, the podcast to you. God loves a cheerful giver. Um, USMM students, we saw the advert for USMM earlier, um, they were asking me recently, well, if God loves a cheerful giver, does that mean he doesn't love people who don't give? And I was like, ooh, good question. Um, of course he loves everybody. They were like, yeah, but does he love them less? And I'm like, ooh, it's a bit of a, bit of a difficult one, that because God loves everyone, and there's nothing you can do that will take his love away. And, but he loves a cheerful giver. So I don't know how to explain it, because he does love everyone, and he loves you loads. And, and if you're really stingy, he still loves you, but he loves a cheerful giver. And given that God loves a cheerful giver, I want to be a cheerful giver. I want to give generously of my finance, of my time, of who I am. Because that's who God is. And so I want to be part of a community and I want to give myself with you to say, we want to be a generous people. Because you know what? What Jesus died for was to set us free from living lives for ourselves. Because that's sin. Living life about me is sin. But Jesus died to set me free from that, so that I could generously give of myself like he does. And of course, all this love of God that prompts me to love God, results in me loving others. We cannot claim, 1 John 4.20, to love God if we do not love our brothers and sisters. And the world will know, John 13.35, that we are Christ's disciples by our love for one another. So firstly then in loving others, it's about loving one another in the church community. About being united, everything that we're talking about this evening in fact, being one people and of course, that's unity right across the church. But that unity right across the church has to be lived out in the practicality of unity within the local church as well. And it's not love one another like, hi, hi, on a Sunday Sunday. You know, because someone came along and you're a good Christian, so you're not going to be mean to them. Someone sat on a chair, three chairs away, of course, because it's not respectable when you come, is it? If there's like someone you don't know very well, then you have to leave a few empty chairs between you and them. Yeah, it's like if you get on the bus, you never sit next to someone if there's like two seats empty in front of them. It's like the etiquette of church, but it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Now, don't look around you too much at the moment. But, you know, I can see from here. You've all done it. You've left like empty seats. We don't like to be too close. I mean, why sit over here with everyone else when you could sit over here? You know, I'm not having a go, honestly. (laughs) But we like to spread ourselves out, don't we? Because, we, you know, but more than just a little nod and an acknowledgement of one another, what if we actually loved one another? What if we actually, you know, because if if Jesus says, you can't claim to love me if you don't love your brother and sister, then maybe what your love for your brother and sister looks like is kind of what your love for him looks like. Because didn't Jesus say that whatever you do for them, you've also done to me? So actually, if my love for my brother and sister is... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, all right. It's not looking great for my relationship with Jesus, is it? Anyway, loving others, of course, it's about loving one another in the church community, united in the local church and with the rest of the church. But it's also about proclaiming the gospel with signs and wonders following. This is where some of those words that you have had if you are part of this community over your life come in because he has said that we will know net breaking, boat sinking, fruitfulness. If you're part of this church community, that is a prophetic word over your life. Net breaking, boat sinking, fruitfulness. If you're part of this community, then you are a center of healing. As a group of people, you are a center of healing. That is God's word over your life. If you're part of this church community, then people will be drawn to God through the worship of this community. It's a word over your life. Jesus was sent into this world to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, and we've been sent for the same reason. We could be loved lovers in heaven, but we can only love others when he sends us into the world. People all around us. And lastly, loving others, as we proclaim the gospel with signs and wonders following, lastly, it's about transforming society from within and without. From within, I mean like the the yeast that works its way through the dough. Jesus told a parable of the kingdom of God being like yeast, it, it transforms the dough. But you can't see it, can you? Once it's been put into the mixture, it's just there. It's just kind of like covert, secret agent. And that's what we're like. We're like secret agents in society because you go into your workplace. And when you go into your workplace or your family or your community or onto your course where you study, when you go there, you could say, well, I'm just me. Or you could actually say, I'm part of the church of Jesus Christ sent out into this city. And actually, do you know what? That is just as important as what we do here on a Sunday. In fact, you spend far more of your time doing that than you spend here on a Sunday. That's the church at work. That's when we do most of our work in your workplace, in your family, in your community, on your bus journeys, in your supermarket shop each week. That's when we do most of our work. But also, of course, we do things together. We do VIP, we do Homes of Hope, we do whatever it is, Alpha courses, and we need to do that too. Because just like he told the parable of a yeast, he also told the parable of a mustard seed that grows into a tree. The largest of garden plants where the birds come and find refuge. And so we're called to be a place, a a community, something that people can look at, that they can observe, that they can come and find refuge amongst us. And these are all things that we're saying we will give ourselves to. We will pursue, we will care about whether we accomplish these vision, this vision and these values together. We will go after it. We'll think about how we can engage in, with it more. We'll pray into it. We'll get along to connect group. We'll, we'll engage in stuff going on in the life of the church. We'll own this stuff that God has been saying to us. We'll engage with it, we'll have prophetic word, we'll, we'll, we'll speak to the leaders, we'll email the leaders, we'll get time with them, we'll, we'll talk about it. This is what I feel God's saying. I was praying to what God has been saying to us recently. We have to be a people united, one in heart and purpose, if we want to achieve all that God has called us to together. Amen? Amen. Bless you. <laughs>